is from Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. This is what the Holy Scripture says. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. May God bless the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. Good afternoon. It's good to have everyone here to be with you this Mother's Day afternoon. According to a British survey, and you have to understand, these are Brits uh, answering this question, 40% of moms have received unwanted Mother's Day gifts. (laughs) We won't take a survey here. How many of, of you have the moms present? Here are a few examples of those gifts. Deodorant. Fire extinguisher. Cleaning supplies. This might be my favorite. A stick of French bread. Salad dressing. Popcorn. Hair dye. Screwdriver. Driver. Toilet roll. Calculator. And car parts. Now, some children choose to give mom a different kind of gift for Mother's Day. Coupons for chores around the house. Now, kids, even though it's later in the day and you've probably already given mom her gifts, you could use the bulletin to draw your own coupons like the ones we have on the slide and give to your mom on the way home if you want to. Uh, However, keep one thing in mind if you do choose to do chores for mom. Here's a bit of advice. Remember that your motivation for doing the chore matters more to mom than what you actually do. Your motivation is the reason why you're doing the chore. Kids, it'll mean a whole lot more to mom if you're doing the chore because you love your mother. Rather than simply doing the chore because you feel obligated to do it or you want recognition for doing it. And what's true for mom is true for God. And that gets to the heart, pun intended, of Paul's words here in Ephesians 6, 5 to 9. The Apostle Paul here is writing to Christians in the first century, those who were slaves and those who were owners of slaves. Now, immediately when we hear talk of slavery, in light of our country's history and legacy, we are disgusted, maybe confused, and and that's an entirely appropriate response. However, we need to briefly acknowledge 
that slavery in this part of the world in the first century was very different than slavery in America in the 18th and 19th century. In the Greco-Roman world, slavery was so much a part of life, hardly anyone debated about whether it was legitimate. As many as one-third of the people in the Roman Empire were slaves. So imagine if we counted off everyone in this room, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, and every third person was a slave. That's a very different type of society. People became slaves in various ways, but most commonly, people of all races were enslaved as prisoners of war. One army conquered another army, and they would take those people as slaves. Another common reason uh, was because a person was unable to pay back their debts. So slaves came from all types of backgrounds and levels of education. And although some slaves were confined to doing hard manual labor, maybe in agriculture or manufacturing or domestic duties, many others served as doctors, teachers, writers, accountants, managers, and secretaries. And so many slaves were very educated and trained in specialized skills and were better educated even uh, than their masters. And slaves could own property, even other slaves. And they were uh, paid often and allowed to save up money and buy their freedom. And most slaves did gain their freedom by the time they were 30, especially in urban areas like Long Beach. It was even common for a freed slave to become a Roman citizen. Now, despite these clear historical differences, it can be a struggle, I think, when we read a passage like this to see the relevancy for us today. But I believe this passage has quite a lot to say to us and has a very potent message in our context today in relation to our attitude towards work. Instead of hearing Paul speaking to bondservants and masters, I'd like you to hear Paul speaking to employees and bosses to students, and to teachers. Paul wants to shape our attitude. He wants to shape our outlook in relation to our work. He believed Christians should stand out from others when they walk into the office on Monday morning. There should be something different about us. A Christian student sitting at his desk doing his work will have a unique perspective in regard to his motivation for why he's learning and how he responds to his teacher. While at the same time, a Christian boss should treat her employees in ways that might stand apart from the wider culture. People should notice. So if you're an employee, a student, a stay-at-home parent, maybe in the military, whatever your job, whatever your vocation, Paul's writing these words with you in mind. So let's look at these first couple of verses, verses 5 to 8. Allow me to read these words again while you imagine Paul speaking 
to the employees and those who have uh, vocations here today, or even students. Listen, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. So let's start at verse 5. An important starting point for Paul is how we view those in positions of authority over us. Now, some of you might believe your boss is tough or unfair. Now, I want to tell you the story of Edward Mike Davis. He started as a chauffeur and rose to become a Houston oil and gas magnet. He was also known as Tiger Mike and gained even more notoriety for his widely circul circulated office memos, with, which earned him the nickname of the world's grumpiest boss. Here are a few of ex examples of the memos that were circulated in the office. There will be no more birthday celebrations, birthday cakes, levity, or celebrations of any kind within the office. This is a business office. If you have to celebrate, do it after office hours on your own time. That, a month later, was followed by another memo that said, Do not speak to me when you see me. If I want to speak to you, I will do so. I want to save my voice. I don't want to ruin it by saying hello to all of you. Now, Paul tells us to view our bosses with fear and trembling. Now, I'm sure a lot of the employees at Tiger Mike's company viewed him with fear and trembling, but Paul's talking about a different kind of fear and trembling. He's not talking about being afraid of your boss. He's talking about having a deep respect for your boss. Now, sometimes that's hard depending on their character and integrity, isn't it? As one military officer put it, sometimes you have to salute the rank, not the man. And that's what Paul's getting to here. Kids, sometimes your teacher seems really mean. And maybe you feel she's picking on you. But even if you don't like your teacher, Paul is encouraging you to respect your teacher. And respecting your teacher involves listening to your teacher and doing what they tell you. And it's important for you to learn this because as an adult, you might have a boss like Tiger Mike. And you may not like your boss. You may think your boss treats you unfairly. But Paul is telling you, you should respect him. Why? Because you are to treat him as you would Christ. Now, that's a radical idea and concept for us today. We are to respect our boss, respect our teacher, the person or individuals who oversee us, we are to view them as if they were Christ. Now, this brings to mind 
Jesus' words in Matthew 25 when he was teaching about the final judgment. He was telling the parable of separating the sheep from the goats. And he said this, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. He says this to the sheep who are brought in to the kingdom. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we do these things for you? And he will answer, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And in a similar way, when we treat our boss or that person in authority over us with respect and with integrity, we are treating them as we would Christ himself. I haven't seen the show, but there's a popular television show. It's been on TV for years called Undercover Boss. Maybe some of you are familiar with it. Here's the premise. A CEO or the person in higher management of a company will, will wear a disguise or, or go undercover uh, and get a low-end job within the company. Nobody knows that he or she is the boss, uh, and no one knows that the boss is then able to see how the employees treat other employees, how they work on the job, uh, how the manager responds to the employees below them. Now, I want you to imagine that's what Paul's describing here. That if you knew that Jesus himself was there with you on site in disguise, would you act differently? Would you respond differently to your coworkers, to your manager? Would you do the best job you can do? Simply because Jesus calls you to do your work and do it for his glory. That's what Paul is trying to encourage us towards here. If you're a Christian, that's your calling and your vocation. Your boss is on site. Your boss is with you. Your boss sees whether you're giving your heart in your work. Your work is done for him. And that's why... You can salute the rank and not the man. And this is why you're called to do your work with a sincere heart. That's what Paul tells us in this verse. That's a heart that is innocent of any deceitful motives. That's a heart that isn't trying to take advantage of of their boss or the, the time of the company. That's a person who with their whole heart is able to say, I've given my all. And that's what Paul's calling us towards here. And he understood that we are tempted towards all types of improper motivations, that we're selfish, that that we are tempted in these ways. He mentions in verse 6, notice he says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. What Paul's simply saying here is that we're tempted to do our work for ourselves, for our own reputation. We want the glory for ourselves, not for Jesus. Our motives can be rooted here rather than bringing glory to Christ, that we want that adulation from other people. And that's our motivation. And here's the interesting thing. I think why Paul brings it up is because this speaks to the contradiction of the gospel. And it's this, that our drive for self-glory 
can be its own prison, can enslave us. I think that's why Paul brings that up here in the context of slaves. You see, it's Jesus who says in John's gospel in chapter 8, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus was not speaking to slaves there. He was speaking to the crowds, to his disciples. And the type of freedom Jesus is talking about is freedom from needing that self-glory. Freedom from being so worried about how other people view you. And for some of you in this room, that's a real prison. I mean, those are shackles you wear every single day. You're so worried about what people think. Your career, your reputation is primary for you. And it's a trap. It's a prison that Paul is saying, Jesus offers you freedom from that. He sets me free from being so concerned about what other people think because I am a bondservant of Christ. That's why Paul says that right there in verse 6. Instead of being trapped by that need for approval, you are a servant of Jesus himself. It's the contradiction of the gospel. Frees you from slavery so that you can serve him with your whole hearts. That's where true freedom is found as we become slaves of Jesus. And this is why that's where true freedom is found is because that's what we were created for. We were created to be in relationship with God. We were created for that type of relationship. And any other type of freedom we search for only becomes enslavement to us. And let me be honest, I'm tempted by that all the time. I'm tempted to to worry too much about what you all think of me instead of what Jesus thinks of me. And I've used this illustration before, and I think it's really helpful to get to the heart of this idea. It's, you know, we're like that fish who's tired of being confined and enslaved to water. And so this fish swims towards the beach, and this fish jumps out onto the sand, and it's flopping around, and its last gasping breath, the fish says, freedom! That's what we're like. We want to break free of the confines of God. We don't want to be in relationship with Him, and we think freedom will be found outside of Him. And the reality is, friends, we were made to be in relationship with him, just as a fish is made to swim in water. And until we see that, until we embrace that, we will never live in the freedom that God has for us. And so Paul is saying, you are slaves to Christ, and that's the best place you can be. That's the one place where you can truly be free. And this is why our attitude matters. In verse 7, Paul says we are to work with a good attitude. And we have a good attitude because we are working for Jesus and not our boss, not our manager, not even our teacher. We're rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man. Now, kids, think about your schoolwork. Paul's saying you should work hard and study And respect your teachers, not so much for your teachers, and not to get the little award at the school assembly. Those are fine things. Those are nice things. And you're not even supposed to work primarily to please your mom, even on Mother's Day. 
You should work hard. You should study. You should have a good attitude because you're seeking to please Jesus. And in the end, Paul says, you will receive your reward from him. I love how Eugene Peterson wraps this up with the message, that paraphrase. Um, I'm going to read his paraphrase of this and see if, if something clicks for you. Maybe you'll see it in a different way. But he says this, Servants, respectfully obey your earthly masters, but always with an eye to obeying the real master, Christ. Don't just do what you have to do to get by, but work heartily as Christ's servants, doing what God wants you to do, and work with a smile on your face, always keeping in mind that no matter who happens to be giving the orders, you're really serving God. Here are a few illustrations that get the point across well, I think. Pastor Legan Duncan tells a story of a dear friend of his who was a really, really, really good cook, but she hated to clean the dishes. Some of you maybe can identify. But above her sink, she put a little wooden plaque that said, Divine worship held here three times daily. In other words, she was determined to look at this job that she really didn't like as an opportunity to serve and worship Jesus. Dallas Theological Seminary professor Howard Hendricks tells a story of a time when he was flying to one of the many stops across the country. He was going, and, and his flight was delayed. And whenever flights are delayed, you know how passengers get. They're not happy. They're getting more and more irritated as fellow passengers. Some of them began to take out their frustrations on, you guessed it, the airline employees. One of the flight attendants. And Hendricks noticed how gracious and poised one of the flight attendants was. And when they finally took off, and she had a, a minute, he called her over. And he commended her. He told her he wanted to write a letter of recommendation to the airline and tell her what a good job she had done. And she looked him in the eye and she said, I don't work for the airline. I work for Jesus Christ. And this morning before I left for work, my husband and I prayed that I would be able to serve Christ in my job. And she did. And Hendricks noticed. Stuart Briscoe, an author and pastor, once asked a young woman, what do you do? And she replied, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, very skillfully disguised as a machine operator. <laughs> and so let me ask you, how about you? How would you complete this sentence? I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, very skillfully disguised as a... You fill it in. And is that true? Can you say that wholeheartedly? As we wrap up, let's quickly look here at verse 9, which is instruction to all the bosses in the room. Notice what Paul says. It says, Masters... Do the same to them, speaking of the slaves, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. How do you treat your employees? If you're a manager, how do you treat the, the people that you're overseeing? 
Do you treat them with dignity and respect? You notice Paul, Paul's saying something radical here into his culture. He is, he is putting masters, slave owners, and slaves on equal footing. Do you see that? It's, it's phenomenal that he's addressing both together in this letter, I think. That means slaves and slave owners were sitting side by side in church. It's a culturally radical idea and and was part of the reason why the Christian faith spread like wildfire throughout the Roman Empire. Remember, one in three people in the empire were slaves. Can you imagine what great news this would be for a slave to hear someone stand up and tell their masters, hey, stop threatening those who are under you. They have the same master as you have. And therefore, treat them with respect and dignity. And I think as employers and managers, often, I think today, a lot of us do that. Um, I I think we do treat people equally in the workplace. I mean, with all the litigation, that's part of the motivation But I think where this might come to play most powerfully for us is to notice that no matter what the job, no matter what kind of work a person might do, God shows no partiality. All work is important. All work is done for his glory if you are a Christian today. And all of us are equals And so that's a challenging reminder for those of us who interact with anyone in the hospitality industry. Uh, Even today, we we we, stood for over an hour waiting to get a table for Mother's Day. And uh, you could see the other people waiting were getting antsy and talking to the hostess. And, you know, she had a tough job. She's dealing with people who are impatient and expectant. And we're challenged here as Christians that whether we're dealing with those uh, serving us in some capacity, do we look down on these people? Do we believe that they owe us something simply because we're paying the bill? Or are we going to allow these words of Paul to begin to shape how we view the people that we interact with on a daily basis and understand that all of us have the same master, All of us have the same creator. And that when we treat those that we interact with with dignity and respect, we are bringing Jesus the glory he deserves. And so let me just end with this. As you think and meditate on Paul's words this morning, and as you look to your week, as you look at tomorrow, getting up, going to work, I want you to sit and imagine the type of work that you're going to do this week. And I want you to maybe spend time tonight or in the morning tomorrow writing a few words, maybe even this sentence, this week I will have to, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is you have to do this week. And say this prayer, let me do it to the Lord, not just for my boss, not just for my employer. Let me do this work for Jesus so that he might be glorified. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you 
for these words of Paul which inspire us and motivate us to do our work and to do it well, to do it with a good attitude. Because, Lord Jesus, you are our master and you are the one who has redeemed us. And so we owe our lives to you. We owe every minute of the day to you. May we use it well as we seek to love on your behalf. Amen.